Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 16, with Tyson Beck. Episode 16 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today we have Tyson Beck on the show. Tyson is a designer and founder of the NBA Sports Design Collective Posterizes. He has worked with clients such as the NBA, Tops, ESPN, the Los Angeles Lakers, Wasserman Media Group, uh, the Detroit Pistons, Maxim, Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, and more. Uh, he is also one of the folks that sort of spearheaded the uh, Instagram culture of sports edits and sports design. Tyson resides and works in Australia and is currently contracted as a designer at Flinders University. Welcome to the show, Tyson. Uh, glad to have our first international guest. Hey, it's good to speak to you, Adam. The, the, I think everybody's going to really like this Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of get that a lot speaking to Americans, um, but it kind of goes both ways. I love the American accents. <laughs> yeah. So so I gave a little bit of a brief introduction to you. However, um, I'd love to give our listeners a little more in-depth background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, uh, sort of leading to where you are today? Oh, wow. Okay. I'll try and not ramble on too much about this, but um, I'll just hit it from the start. Um, so basically how I got into design I think from the age of about 12 or 13, um, I didn't really know what I was good at. Like I was, I was good at maths, but I never wanted to focus on a career of being an accountant or something like that because I just didn't have the passion for it. So outside of that, I was kind of, you know, I was watching sport. I love sport. I just got into basketball. Um, I was a huge um, follower of Aussie Rules Football here. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It's called yeah, the AFL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that was kind of, that was my involvement in life. I loved that. I played that. Um, but then I started playing basketball and that just totally switched gears. Um, the basketball league here isn't that good compared to the NBA, uh, which I guess is the marquee league. Um, so that, you know, I was what, up late at night um, watching, didn't have the internet, so I was kind of watching this uh late night sports shows and kind of watching the scores and hearts and stuff like that. So, you know, after a while, um, my passion for basketball just kind of grew so much and I, I wanted to stay involved with it because I knew, you know, I'm like five foot ten, white, can't jump, can shoot okay. <laughs> um, so I knew I was never going to make it as a basketballer. Um, but yeah, I was kind of, you know, on the computer, just playing around with pictures sort of, you know, just kind of finding cool photographs and Google images and just simply just doing some funky things on Photoshop to start off with. Um, but yeah, then after a while, it kind of, it kept picking up, you know, I found myself coming home from school and instead of kind of wanting to shoot hoops like I do with my friends all the time, um, I just wanted to go home and jump on Photoshop or, or, or Illustrator and, um, and just, just make some cool things. And I never kind of envisioned to have a career out of it. Um, I didn't think it was kind of possible. Um, I didn't think sport design was kind of a massive thing at the time. So, yeah, I just kind of 
just did that until probably about 16, 17 when I needed to focus on what I needed, um, wanted to do outside of high school. And yeah, and at that point, I was kind of doing a few freelance things at the end of high school, um, nothing major. And then, yeah, I kind of just wanted to make the career path of being a designer. Um, and then, so after high school, I studied um, a diploma of advertising and graphic design here in um, Adelaide. Yeah, at the time there, I was um, I was just kind of putting my work up online. That's kind of what I started doing to get my name out, just going on forums, uh, like, like really old stuff, like I think like mixmakers.net. I don't know if you remember that stuff. And but basically, my inspiration back then was probably West Coast Remix. Do you, do you remember West Coast Remix at all? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, so I remember kind of looking at that stuff um, and there was kind of some cool wallpapers and kind of digital artwork there and I was kind of like, wow, how do these guys do that? Because my my stuff at the time just, you know, it wasn't wasn't as great as that. So that was kind of my inspiration. That was kind of, you know, sitting on a pedestal and I just wanted to get there. So I just kept working at that. And then, um, yeah, after just kind of posting my work online and everything, um, I did, I did like a, my probably first piece, the Phoenix Suns do like a game night cover. And I mean, it's, it's a kind of a free, free design unpaid project, but you know, fans can kind of submit, submit a design and they put it on their game night covers that fans, um, collect when they go into the games. And from there, they kind of asked, Oh, Hey, you know, we'd love to put your name and, um, details on the cover thinking I was a Phoenix Suns fan. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, my name's Tyson Beck, uh, favorite, you know, standard fill out, favorite player, Kobe Bryant, favorite team, Los Angeles Lakers. And they're like, mm, we can't really put that on because at the time Phoenix and, you know, the Lakers 2007, they <laughs> didn't really like each other. They had a bit of rivalry yeah. building up. So, um, yeah, Phoenix said, well, instead we can just pass along your contact details to the Lakers. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's cool. I'd rather that. And yeah, and kind of my details went to their digital team and then, yeah, I started freelancing for them. I think I was 17 at the time and that was cool because like I was getting checks in the mail with like the Lakers logo and I was going to the bank uh, with like a check with the Lakers logo on it and there'd always be discussions behind the bank, you know, the bank tellers would be like, oh. I think this kid plays for the Lakers. And I was like, are you serious? Like I can barely see over the counter. Um, but yeah, that was kind of cool. That was kind of my first kind of like wow factor sort of thing. Like, wow, you know, this is, this is really cool. Um, but yeah, now it's kind of just stemmed from then. Like I, I yeah, just worked on a lot of projects um, around sport. And that's kind of what I've wanted to do with um, my design career because I've noticed like early on I was just taking on little small projects um, just anything like just any kind of background and I felt like when I was working on those projects that it was work but then when it became to sports work it didn't feel like work it just I don't know it, it, it you know, it was just something else. And I mean, you, you totally understand yourself. I'm sure you work on sport, um, sports related designs and unrelated sports designs. And yeah, it's just totally different. If you're just working on something that you're passionate about, um, yeah, there's nothing else like that. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's let's jump right into Posterizes. So you founded this sports collective, Posterizes. Can you tell us a little bit about that for maybe people that listen to the show that may not have an idea what it is? Yeah. Um, so I think it was 2011. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. So at that time, I was kind of I was kind of in between, you know, doing doing a lot of paid work and. I've always wanted to kind of uh, focus on uh, passion work or personal projects, people like to call it, because uh, I think that's a it's, a it's a major thing. You you really have to do that as a designer to get your name out there and, um, you know, to keep up your A-game sort of thing. Um, and with posterizers, I was looking kind of at, you know, a, ways of, a way of how I can push my work out there and interact with fans um, so I could kind of build a cult following and um, and get some exposure rather than just kind of posting on forums or social media and things like that. Um, so I think at the time, like I mentioned back in the day, West Coast Remix was a huge influence for me. And at the time with posterizers, I don't think there was anything else. There wasn't like a, a collective of sports designers working on kind of like social media graphics and wallpapers and things like that freely mm-hmm. for fans. Um, so I thought, okay, uh, let's do it. I mean, there's a market there. And and the name posterizers obviously comes from, you know, the term posterizers from basketball and kind of, you know, oh, yeah, you know, posterize that sort of thing. And right. the whole flow from like, you know, p- posters on the wall, well, let's, you know, take them off the wall and put them on the screen. And um, so I spearheaded that, and the the original guy I worked with um, was Ashan Mishra. He's he has so much social media skills. Um, he he's he's a genius uh, social media wise. Uh, he's currently working with uh, Bleacher Report. Yeah, Bleacher Report. Um, he got that from um, Posterizers, so that that's a really cool opportunity. He's working with um, designing there and running their social media stuff. Um, and yeah, so. F- from that point with posterizers, um, I guess our goal was, you know, to put our work up there, but to stay current. Um, so, for example, like when Dwight Howard was choosing what team to go with, um, Ryan Hurst, one of our, uh, the designers at posterizers, would create a graphic where Dwight Howard was wearing all these jerseys. And that was picked up, you know, ESPN used it, all these other sports network users it. Um, and it was just like a social media push, like, you know, people, you know, Warriors fans would take that wallpaper, um, or that, that graphic and put it on their social media accounts and go, Oh, you know, I'm a Warriors fan. I want him to go to the Warriors. And so, so something like that's kind of a good example of just how that, you know, these graphics can kind of push out, um, to a wide audience. And, you know, Dwight Howard, I think when he, when he ended up choosing Houston, he, the, the first thing he did was um, grab uh, the graphic of himself on Houston that Ryan Hurst created for posterizers and he put it all across his social media accounts and everything like that, website and all that, um, which obviously probably isn't a good thing because, you know, he was removing our logos and things like that. But, I mean, it shows that our work is widely seen. Well, we, we get some huge engagement numbers uh, both on the website and across social media, um, depending on how kind of engaged the, you know, like if the wallpaper is kind of up to like a, a, a current theme, um, if it's kind of just like a random, you know, Kobe Bryant wallpaper probably won't be that, uh, get that much engagement. But, you know, if it's like LeBron going to Cleveland, then people just go crazy because that's right. the first graphic. You know, we do the Photoshop, usually the Photoshop jersey switches, uh, the ones that are popular with fans. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, it's, I never thought about, I love the name posterizes and especially how you liken it to not only like getting posterized, like getting dunked on or whatever, but posters as things that kids, you know, us as kids, we used to put on our walls and and Mm -hmm. it makes me curious. Like, I wonder if kids these days are still putting posters on their walls, whereas like posterizes has now become, you know, it's the poster for their social media. So Mm -hmm. their Facebook, their personal Facebook page is like their digital room, you know? And so that's the poster in their digital room. That's a cool uh, tie in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where, where you guys went? So originally you said when you're starting out, you know, you're grabbing Google images and things like that as, as things began to mature and, and as you began to mature a little bit in your career and your knowledge of, of the design business, um, and then the sports business and things like copyright and things like that, wh- where are you guys getting your images now? Are you, are you getting those from like stock photography websites or directly from media? Um, yeah, we can get, um, photographs from media and stock photography websites and things like that you know we're not we're not selling our work on post sizes we don't have the copyright license to do that um we we have the license just to pull any um nba image and use it um as a um a passion project as as they call it um on posterizers um as long as we're not seeking revenue from it so yeah we're, we're completely fine with that and yeah it's just uh I mean, the NBA have some amazing photographers. We're definitely very fortunate with the photographers the NBA have. Um, and I think the NBA is one of those sports where kind of unlike the MLB, NHL, NFL, there's no headgear. The the athletes are kind of there in focus more, more than any other sports. Uh, I mean, the creativity they have in the air, on the court, in the air, um, it just m- makes them makes for some remarkable artwork and designs that um, we can build. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a really cool sport basketball to kind of work on. Um, we've, we've thought about um, bre- uh, branching out posterizers to different sports, but at the time I think we're just going to be sticking to basketball because we're really busy with uh, work. We've got a lot of clients based from posterizers. Um We've uh, been doing stuff directly for the NBA and a lot of sub-clients from that, um, just from our work being seen on posterizers. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been really cool the way it's kind of flown on from the start to where it is now. That's awesome. So you said that you mentioned that you've gotten some work from it, uh, from posterizers, and, and I think the, a common theme – on this show, as, as you know, because I know that you listen to the show, is this whole side project thing and the passion projects. And, uh, you know, you, you have to do these things on the side to sort of test yourself. And in most cases, mm-hmm. it, it seems that those projects are leading to work and exposure for the bigger clients more so than the actual client work that you're, you know, that, that people are doing. So you found that to be true with Posterizes? Oh, I would find that 100% true. Um, when someone, when a new client approaches me, they'll never go, oh, hey, I saw like that, uh, a design for the NBA or ESPN or something and it looked crazy. Um, you know, I'd love you to work with me. It's always something like, oh, I saw this thing on posterizers or I saw this thing on your website or your Instagram. You know, I'd love for you to work with me. And which is really cool. And it just really, you know, I'd, I couldn't stress enough, for, especially sports designers, to to have some kind of platform online. Like if you're just going to use Behance or 
Dribble um, or Twitter or Instagram and just just nut out some paid uh, sorry person, um, personal <laughs> projects um, because it's just you know you don't have any clients telling you move this there kind of change that there it is it's it's your personal work um, and it, it's as good as work as you'll ever produce probably because um, that that's kind of what you're passionate about and um, yeah that's kind of what you got to do you, you you have to kind of keep yourself at a at a high level of your skill set um, just to kind of nut that stuff out. Yeah, it's kind of worked out really well. And I should probably just mention our team. I mean, like our team, um, we've got uh, Tak Wong. Um, he, you know, he's an amazing designer. He's, he's, been, he's do, um, designing for the NBA now after his work uh, got exposed on posterizers uh yeah i mentioned ashan mishra he's doing work for bleacher report and a, and a few other areas uh darius um i can't pronounce his last name yeah he's I, Polish. I, I know him i know him. He, fo- he, follows <laughs> you know darius. he follows us yeah we know darius yeah um yeah he does crazy work he works for um uh basically actually there's a digital agency called stn digital and they um use posterizers basically as a talent pool um, and we do a lot of work for just various teams, uh, so digital wise, what they have, um, licenses for to work with. So like things like Washington Redskins, TNT, Miami Dolphins, a couple MLS teams, NHL teams, uh, the Canucks, I think just uh, probably 20 to 30 different sports teams. Um, and yeah, guys like Ryan Hurst, um, Caroline Blanchett, yeah, and a few she's others. Su- she's super uh, talented, man. Oh she, yeah, 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 yeah. There's um, there's a lot of them. Sorry, you know, I know I'm forgetting. There's about 15 guys there on the team. Yeah, I'm just yeah. kind of running off a few well, off my I'll, head. But I'll, yeah, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes and let people kind of link off to uh, to see all these talented artists. I am curious though. So you know, obviously this is a side project. You guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, fun projects, putting them up there from the business side though, you know, this is obviously leading to work. So how does that part work? You have all these artists and this sort of collective of talent when a company comes in and, and tries to, you know, commission you guys to do some work. How does that work? How do you determine who gets the work? How's the splits and and things like that? Yeah, I guess to be honest, it can be awkward at times. (laughs) Um, Especially if we're just kind of working on a, you know, thing that only requires three or four people or something. But, um, yeah, usually it just kind of comes to me and I kind of work out, kind of push it in the right direction, you know, in terms of whose skill set um, is best. Um, so, kind of, you know, we've got a guy like Sam Melv and, and he's just an amazing illustrator. Like, he his vector game is just crazy. So, if there's any vector work, I'll pass it his way. Um, you know, Ryan Hurst is insane with uniform swaps and he's a great designer as well but that's kind of his kind of marquee kind of design and um yeah if there's anything like that we'll pass it his way but yeah just you know more recently we've just been working directly with stn as i mentioned before yeah they just kind of use us as talent pool now so that's been a lot easier for me because um the guys there jason david and brett they they just have a, have a team that wants a digital design, um, digital project, and they just go directly to one of the 15 members on our team, uh, which is really easy because it doesn't make me have to kind of sort through uh, <laughs> yeah. working out who works on what. Because, um, yeah, for me, it's kind of like I, I love working on as much as possible, but, you know, 
you you got to keep you got to keep everything flowing and everyone kind of on the same level and um, working on some cool things. Right. And, and that, you know, that kind of puts you into um, a little bit of like a management role, which that's one of the most underestimated things about anybody in the creative business is when you start to have to kind of project manage or, or send things out to other people. It's, it's one of the toughest things to do. Yeah. And it definitely is one of the toughest things for me because I'm just not an organized person. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you can see my desk right now, <laughs> it, it would speak volumes. Yeah, and that's something I really, really need to kind of focus on and getting better at. Um, I kind of just love the, you know, just designing. I don't like any, you know, doing too much other stuff than that. Um, right. But yeah, it's another cool. It's another cool area if you can kind of project manage things like that. There's just so much to that. There's so much to that, and I guess high, you know, you got creative directors, art directors, you know, anyone at a senior level will be doing a lot of that stuff. So. You, you definitely have to have a good understanding to be at a top level kind of, you know, the hierarchy of designers. Right. So um, Instagram has been huge for for your your personal career. And then also, uh, you know, I would imagine the careers of the rest of these designers from Posterizes. There's, there's like this brand new niche um, on Instagram with this whole sports edits, you know, hashtag sports yeah. edits and that type of thing. Was was this something that was that's been around for for a while, or was this something that you would say that your crew, yourself, and your crew sort of spearheaded, and it's kind of really just taken off? Uh, yeah, I don't think I, I can't say we um, spearheaded it at all. Um, I think when I first kind of, I was more kind of into Facebook at the time. Um, I built a big following on Facebook, but then kind of once Facebook brought in this, you know, the crap reach thing where your page could only go out to 5% of your likes or something. I was just like, oh, this is crazy. You know, i got to use another platform. And I was already using Twitter to kind of engage with um, engage with my fan base. But then I started using Instagram. And, you know, the more I was on it, I just saw oh, people were taking photos of their food and dogs and babies. There's no design on this. This isn't, this isn't a platform <laughs> for designers. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the more kind of a couple months into it, I was kind of looking around and go, wow, you know, there is thousands. I mean, Tens of thousands of kids around the world. Um, sorry, I, I, you know, I don't meant to target just kids, um, but, you know, the youth do use it a lot. There's a lot of experienced, um, you know, designers that do use it. But, you know, just speaking on, you know, the sports edits and designs, you know, there's a crazy amount of high school students, uh, early uh, college students, um, and just recent graduates kind of using it. And, you know, I don't know if you've, you know of, uh, what's it? Uh, geez. Beyond the buzzer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. And those kind of those edits, uh, I mean, you know, if you ask me personally, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't like that kind of style of design too much, but that's kind of the mindset that's kind of brought in with like the edits on Instagram, you know, throwing on filters, things, uh, you know, that oil paint effect, you know, the, the skin effect that kind of the Instagram users do. And so I think what I've experienced are, uh, is, is there's thousands of these kids out there and it's kind of crazy because if you look at it, I've been speaking with, you know, a lot of people out there because um, a lot of people kind of um, direct message me and inbox me about how to be a designer. I don't want to do these edits anymore because I'm, I'm always trying to preach that, 
Um, there's a big difference between edits and designs, you know, throwing right. filters on something, um, you know, changing a background blue to red or, you know, doing simple things is, is more kind of tailored to an edit, um, whereas design and art is, is just totally different because there's creativity. It's not just editing something. Yeah. Um, so I'm just constantly trying to push people, you know, if they want to make a career out of design, if they want to really, you know, push their skills and everything, you know, get, get, you know, kind of change out of the app game, um, go to software like Photoshop and Illustrator and, and InDesign and, you know, pro, um, programs under the Adobe suite and, um, and, and push to be a designer. Cause if you're passionate about playing around, you know, it may sound corny, you know, just playing around with pictures, um, at a young age, just photo, you know, Photoshop or, you know, NBA images on Photoshop. But I mean, that's what I did. And that's what I like to tell them because, you know, I was them when I was 12, 13, you know, and I was doing that for five, six years before I started studying. And, um, you know, this, there's no limits. Um, you know, if they, if that's the beauty about design, like, I guess I get, I get asked a lot, you know, how did I, how did I build my skills up? You know, how did, why do my designs look like they are? And, you know, I, I just simply just say hard work and patience. I mean, that's, I, th- I think that's all you need. So yeah, the Instagram culture's um, a bit crazy. I don't know for yourself, do you go on Instagram much in terms of like looking at kind of the sports design um, side of things? Or? Yeah, yeah, I do. I follow, I follow a couple. I mean, I follow yourself and I follow posterizes and I, I, I've got a mix, a, a healthy mix of things. You know, I'll follow like hand letterers and like packaging designers yeah. and stuff, but I also have like, you know, some of the sports stuff coming through as well. Mm-hmm. And I, since we're on that topic though, you know, when you put your work out there and you start to build this audience. And especially with yourself, you know, you've built a really big audience. Posterizes has got nearly 40,000 followers. And then yourself, um, you know, you got like almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. When, when you, when your work is out there at that scale, and especially when you have a lot of younger people that maybe don't understand the industry as well, and they start to follow Mm you, ripoffs tend to happen. You know, uh, you know, yeah. they, they'll, they'll take your work and, and modify it just slightly or, or they'll just completely rip it off and put their name on it. How, how do you handle that type of stuff in, in this, uh, sort of public world? <laughs> yeah, you, uh, very frustrating at times. Um, I guess my kind of care factor has dropped a little bit over time because I just kind of want to stay sane. Like I don't want to, you know build up all this anger sort of thing because, you know, it's never good kind of having your work stolen. Um, and I started kind of like on Posterizers because Posterizers is a great platform to speak to a, a, a large amount of audience, especially in terms of, you know, the designers that work um, in sport and also just kind of, you know, at, at the groundwork of wanting to work in sports design. Um, so I kind of put up the kind of like a name and shame sort of post maybe six, seven months ago, um, you know, if you see something, name and shame. Um, yeah. And that, that worked out really well, um, you know, because we we constantly have people tag us in posts saying, you know, look, someone stole this because it's so easy to crop your work, out, uh, crop logos out of um, work. Right. And the thing is, you know, people constantly tell me, just put a watermark dead center in your work. 
but no, I don't want to because, you know, the, the work I do, I, I do it for passion. Um, and, you know, my personal projects, I want them to look as best as possible. I shouldn't need to throw in a, you know, Tyson Beck Designs logo or text dead center and in, you know, in bold writing, you know, on top of a player so no one can take it. You know, I don't want to do that because that's going to impact my design. And right. essentially, you know, I'm putting stuff up to get work. So, um, yeah, it's just a negative know, I, I part of the internet, you know, like that's what happens. It, it is, <laughs> it is. And, and that's the killer with anything with like posterizers because we we resize our work uh, for, you know, iPhones, Galaxy, tablets, wallpapers, Facebook cover photos, just a, a suite of digital options. So you can basically pick one of them and probably find a, um, a nice one where the logo is easy to crop out. Um and, and the copywriting and things like that. And, yeah, that kind of kills me and it breaks me down a bit in terms of just fighting these people in terms of, like, going, hey, you know, this isn't cool. Um, but, yeah, it happens a lot um, and there's been a lot, lot of kind of people doing it. Um, and and the, the, the bad thing is now when if you start to kind of search on um, eBay and you search kind of like LeBron James posters, yeah, there will be about 30 different ones from posterizers being sold. Um, oh, you know, I've seen one, I've seen ones with like over 3,000 sales. And it's like, oh, my God, like they've sold Dude. those for $15 each. Like, um, and what's and messed up is eBay. there's like some copyright stuff that they couldn't even – they shouldn't even be able to, to do that anyway. Like not exactly. just for the fact that it's posterizers, but if you're using, you know, yourself, yeah. uh, like free images or whatever. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I always have a laugh because it's kind of like, wow, well, like, I mean, they're illegally taking our work, but then they're not even allowed to sell it, even if it was their own work. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I've contacted eBay is just a lost hope. Every time I've tried to contact them, they just don't care. So, um, yeah, that's, that's something you know, could definitely look out for. But, I mean... Just speaking some words, um, you know, I wouldn't want to, if it does happen to anyone getting your work stolen, I definitely wouldn't want it to, you know, divert your, um, you know, your passion in terms of, you know, putting out design work online. Like, I I wouldn't want it to stop anyone. Um, And I mean, I I think everyone's experienced, you know, work being stolen. Um, And it's just, it's just a shit thing about our industry, really. Right. And, and I know that, you know, you'll have a lot of, you have a lot of younger kids that listen and they may even listen to the show, but just from, from a, a word of wisdom, I, I think that it's completely okay to admire someone's style and to maybe take that work mm-hmm. and to dissect it on your own in private and see if you can replicate it and that type of thing just to get better at the tools and the software. Mm-hmm. But you should never put that stuff out there publicly, right? Like eventually oh, for sure. through that time, like we all do it, right? Like the masters, like some of the best designers in the world, you know, we'll take their work and be like, Dude, how did they do this? You know, and you'll, you might mm-hmm. take it down and you'll look at it. You want to get a close look at it and uh, yeah. you might see if you can replicate it, but you would never take that and put that online as your own thing because the fact is that you actually ripped off the style even of that person. Uh, you should always work to kind of develop your own style. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, I 100% agree with that. I had one instance where um, most recently the the World Cup in Brazil um, earlier this year, I was doing um, a suite of designs for ESPN. And it was kind of like it was a fun kind of paint, thro- you know, paint-throwing sketchy type of you know brazilian feel to it um but then giving like the culture of each team's country into that design and you know i was putting that online um just pushing it on social media because they were using it on tv um and and also social media as well and you know what i noticed is i'd I'd put it on my instagram 
and my Twitter and things like that. And literally the next day I'm being tagged in, you know, I'm no joke, 20, 30 different posts about literally people taking that exact design I did and replicating it to say, you know, a different country like New Zealand or, or America or something <laughs> from, from a Brazil design I did. And it's kind of like, you know, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, it's cool to kind of replicate work or, or be inspired. But, you know, when it's campaign-driven work to ESPN <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, and then they're kind of like tagging ESPN in their posts, like, oh, use this, use this. And it's like they don't really understand the nature of the business. Like ESPN aren't using my work because I tag their name in it. I tag their name <laughs> yeah. in it because they're, you know, they're the, I pass on my ownership of the work to them. I'm tagging them in it because I'm saying it's their kind of, you know, it's their work to use. Um, I'm not tagging in it for a reshare. Um, so yeah, that's one thing, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you just can't pixel by pixel copy things. If someone's got a lot of, you know, most designers have their own kind of certain look they have as a strong point. It's great to kind of be inspired by those certain looks, but not to replicate it pixel by pixel. You can, you can't just kind of, Oh, okay, this player's small here, there's another player bigger here. You know, you can't just exactly just copy it and then just start pumping it out as your own work kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's been, you know, concerning. We've had, we've even had NBA team designers uh, take posterizers work and literally just whack out a player from our backgrounds and just slap their player in. And it's wow. kind of like, wow, okay. Um, that's very creative. Um, so we've dealt with that. Um, you know, when, when it's just kind of, you know, people learning kind of the design game, we've kind of let it slide. We might contact them, you know, just tell them the, you know, the process. You're always trying to speak volumes to try and get them to be better and more creative. But when businesses do it um, or, or organizations, that's when we contact them and go, hey, you know, this isn't cool sort of thing. But yeah, I guess it kind of sucks talking so much about the stealing and the ripping side of things. <laughs> yeah. But um, it yeah, has it's to just be the addressed, though. You know, it has to be addressed. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's good too. So your boy is uh, your boy's Kobe, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. and you you. You did some work for the Lakers, and I noticed, like, I mean, you, you and Kobe, uh, do you, you guys have a relationship now? I mean, he's, he's retweeting you and, like, at replying you. Yeah, I think I, I didn't think we had a relationship, but then he joined Twitter, and then he followed me, and, and then he unfollowed everyone, and then he followed me again, like, as one of, like, the six <laughs> people he started following. And it's kind of like, man, he does remember, remember me. I met him back in um, uh, 2007, and I mean, you know, I'm straight, but he's my man crush. Like, there's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. He he is just my inspiration. Um, and I really get frustrated when people say, "Oh, you know, athletes can't be role models." You know, they just get paid millions of dollars to play sport that people do freely. You know, but I'd look at it as you know, I can't I can't think of another athlete that puts in so much hard work you know, so much concentration outside of the game. You know, he's up at 4 a.m. There's crazy stories of him in Team USA. He'd get up and train at 4 a.m., you know, with with a couple of trainers he brought over. They'd go to bed at 9 a.m., come back at 2 o'clock and go, oh, hey, Kobe, you know, did you get some rest? And he's like, what rest? You know, I'm still here. You know, while the rest of Team USA rock up at midday. Um, he's, he's just another, he's another breed of animal. 
Um, and it's going to be a sad day when he retires um, because, yeah, he's just one of a kind, really. Um, but, yeah, with him, I kind of worked um, a lot with his uh, website early on. Um, he had a really cool website. Back when player websites were really, I guess, big. I think player websites now with social media has kind of taken a downfall. Right. I don't think um, um, athletes kind of utilize websites as much now. It's more kind of their social media um, games. And yeah, I was kind of doing some digital work um, for his website and and also my work with the Lakers. So when I kind of went over, I got tickets to the game and then met him after the game. And that was really cool. Just kind of meet him for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, talk about things. And yeah, I mean, there was, there was one crazy thing I probably should say um, with, because um, when I did, when Dwight Howard left the Lakers, I put up like a cool, cool graphic, kind of just like a fun one just to get some engagement. Um, and it was just Kobe dunking on Dwight Howard as a Houston Rocket. Um, and it was just like, you know, next time they meet. It was just kind of play on from the Orlando Magic dunk he did in his rookie season. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it wasn't super crazy. It was kind of just, you know, a bit of Photoshop work, you know, cloning out and things like that. And, um, yeah, that got picked up. That was actually how ESPN found me. You know, I had, I think I had like four or 5,000 retweets and, even like, you know, people like Ice Cube and stuff retweeted um, <laughs> it and um, a lot of sports networks did. And, um, and yeah, and Kobe kind of direct messaged me and he just wrote, wow. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like he kind of – and that was the day Dwight Howard signed with Houston and he kind of just wrote me going, wow. Um, that, but he did awesome, that direct man. message so obviously no one could see it on, you know, as a tweet. But, um, yeah, we kind of keep in touch a bit. He, he – um, He's a really kind guy. Um, he's taken out time and he's spoken about my design work. You know, he's spoken to me and said, you know, your artwork is just, you know, getting better and better every time I see it. So he must frequently look at it. And, um, you know, currently right now I'm actually working with Panini Authentic, um, which hold his um, autograph um, license. So all his autograph stuff goes to Panini. So um Hopefully soon I'll be able to put up some work that I'm doing with Panini, um, but it's still kind of under production. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of great to still be involved with um, kind of, you know, Kobe's side of things now with his memorabilia portfolio. Yeah, that's very cool. And, you know, talking about his work ethic, that's that's one of the things that I think a lot of people just don't understand that don't kind of have like a close, close connection to the sports industry is that those the, the guys that are really do, – all of them work really hard, don't get me wrong, but the guys that are really doing it the best, it's just like any other industry. I mean, CEOs of the best companies in the world, you know, we look at, think about Steve Jobs at Apple and how much he worked. You know, it's the same with everything. Those guys, they work like crazy. It's not just this, nat- yes, maybe they do have some natural athleticism, but you got to work yeah. and work and work. I mean, even LeBron, like LeBron works, works like crazy to be, you know, where he is. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, LeBron does as well. I mean, there's a lot of freakishly athletic players and they're, you know, they come in and they're gone a couple of years because they realize all they can do is dunk. And, you you know, you do quickly realize that it's the players that work hard and mix the fundamentals with their athletic, you know, God-gifted talents um, that end up lasting the longest. Right, right. And I got to say, just as a complete side note here, man, I I, uh, I hate to see what happened to Julius Randle. I'm, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm from basically like the Lexington area, which is where the Kentucky Wildcats are. So that's brutal. Okay. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. We don't – it was on the upright. It was our only, only thing to look forward to this season. And it was over in like, what, 12 minutes? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and you I feel to, like we're going through a curse. Yeah, and you hate to see that for a kid too, you know, it's achieved his, green, his dreams of making it to the NBA, so it's rough. Yeah, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders, though. So oh, yeah, he, I think he he'll recover. Yeah. He'll, he'll recover. Like, I, I just just based on, like, what I saw when he was here, because, you know, I, I get to see NBA-level talent quite a bit, obviously, with yeah. Coach Calipari and, and that type of thing. So, um, but – he has he has a good work ethic. He kind of he does have that work ethic. That's the thing. So he'll he'll be back. And it looks like Kobe's cool. You know, Kobe Kobe thinks he'll be back too. He'll be all right. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Thanks for being optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So back to the design. I want to talk a little bit about your process. Like you know, you do uh, what I I consider you know a lot of your work to be digital art and digital illustration. Like you know, a lot of people they think about traditional illustration, like they might think about vector mm-hmm. stuff. But this stuff is this is illustration. I mean, this is totally totally illustration. So uh, when you're working on a project and say you know you have a client that comes to you, let's begin this project. I'm just curious what your process is like because your work uh you have uh one of those abilities to um i feel like create different styles you know like there's something about your work that's like you can tell that it's still yours but everything doesn't look the same you know what i'm saying like you have like illustrators that are just like everything they do it's like yeah i know that's theirs because everything looks exactly the same so when you're doing that type of stuff uh, and a client comes to you, are you showing them sketches or do you have an overall idea before you start or do you just get, literally get on and start pushing pixels around? Yeah, that's um, that's a really good question. Thanks for kind of mentioning that my style is kind of bounces around differently. That's a huge focus that I'd like to, you know, have as a designer. Um, yeah, I guess with clients, it's kind of different in terms of like how they find my work. Like, I guess a lot of them kind of come from, like we mentioned before, we spoke on before with Instagram, you know, they'll see something and go, hey, we want something like this. But again, a lot of times, you know, someone will work for a business and they'll say, you know, just come up with something crazy. Just just do something. And that's what I like most. Um, but yeah, then there's um, a lot of times where they say, we want this certain style. And you just kind of go from there. So in turn, I'm, I'm not like a sketch kind of person. I don't draw things on a paper. I get, you know, that's an old school thing, but I know still a lot of current people do it. I kind of just, I jump right on the computer. I like moving things around, kind of throwing things in, play around on the computer. I don't really kind of sketch things up by hand first um, in terms of kind of like layout wise and style wise. And um, yeah, a lot of, like I jump on the Wacom a bit, um, the Wacom tablet, that's yeah. a lifesaver. I do a lot of that. I just kind of, yeah, just do everything on the computer. Um, I do a lot of kind of like, you know, paint things, um, and watercolors, uh, on paper and then scan it in. Um, but in terms of like where I start, I start on the computer. That's the first thing I do. Um, and then developing a style, you know, I can't say like I own any style or I've created styles, but a lot of the times I kind of like to just do something I haven't seen before, if that makes any sense. I'm sure like people have similar styles, but I don't like to kind of go by other people's work and kind of look around for client work I'm working on. Uh, Because then what I find myself, if I've done that in the past, it just ends up looking a lot like the work I'm looking at um, because I've got that on my left eye, I'm working on my right eye, and then I'm kind of just trying to replicate it a bit too much. So, yeah, a lot of the times I just kind of just start fresh and go, um, look at the design, look at the images I have to work with and go, what will work, you know, maybe a grunge thing, maybe, you know, maybe something kind of fruity and, um, you know, a bit pop art or something, you know, just just anything. But 
yeah, just try and mix it up. I, I definitely don't want to be locked down to a certain style, um, probably because I haven't mastered the style yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool, man. I, I, I like that. That's uh, I think, honestly, my opinion as a graphic designer, you know, if, if you – if you're going to refer to yourself as a graphic designer and, and Darren Crescenzi, I don't know if you got a chance to hear that episode. It was a few back. Yeah, um, yeah, he he, he kind of touched on this too. Like graphic designers should technically be able to achieve many different things. You know, it's all about what's specific to this project um, mm. as opposed to like, you know, if we're going to go out here and we're going to call ourselves illustrators, that's a different story because like Matt Stevens in the last episode touched on clients are picking you for your specific style as an illustrator right so mm. i think it's a good yeah, thing yeah. that you can you can achieve a, a whole bunch of different things as far as inspiration is concerned I, I dig that too that you're not really kind of looking at stuff because i'm the same way like i i don't look at anything like i flat out to start and i look at stuff so much though that there's like i think subconscious inspiration that you have or maybe mm. you remember something that you saw or whatever but you you can't remember where you saw it you know whether it was on behance or dribble or you know yeah, there's yeah. just so many different things to look at nowadays and i think it's a good thing yeah. to start just just straight up you know just get to it without looking at stuff yeah and i think i think the things that inspire me most are things i never do like i like a lot of kind of like you know 3 3d kind of rendering yeah. and things like that but i don't do too much of that and I think the things that inspire me most are the things that I don't actually take into my own work. I think I just appreciate just different kind of design and art. Just, yeah, just things I just probably generally don't do because I'm like, wow, that's cool. I'm not even going to try and hit that. I'm not even going to attempt that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, the things that I can kind of cover um, probably don't inspire me as much. Um, I don't know. That probably sounds really strange, but... Um, I guess that's the way it is for me. No, I think I think that's valid. I mean, uh, it's the same way for me. Like I see, uh, I, I, one thing that inspires me is like motion graphics, yeah. like After yeah. Effects, that type of stuff. And uh, you see a lot of 3D elements in there. And I just don't have the patience to sit there and animate like one little turn of a, of something for hours and up on hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so. Last time we chatted, you guys at Posterizes, you were getting ready to do a project for Nike, right? What, do you have any updates on that? Yeah, well, I guess that was going to be our big one. Like we've done a lot of kind of work for teams and the the, the league of the NBA and things like that. And yeah, I mean, it just it just fell flat. Uh, <laughs> it was it was our kind of big project we we're gearing up for. It was for Nike. Um, and Foot Locker going to be worldwide. Um, it was based around Kevin Durant and his off-season uh, focus. Uh, he was cu- currently on Team USA. He was releasing his new shoe, so it was kind of all going to be like that. And they were running the Baddest campaign. Um, I'm not sure yep. if you kind of yeah, saw yeah. that. I love that the Baddest. Yeah, we're we're going to have billboards, posters in Barcelona, and install Foot Locker stuff, and just you know, TV adverts and crazy things like that. So a, a lot of planning, um, we, we had a lot of planning and we spent a lot of time on it um, over a few weeks. And um, it kind of just fell flat when Kevin Durant was apparently signing for Under Armour and um, he cancelled his Barcelona tour. And all things, all signs looked like he was signing with Under Armour. So wow. the kind of project just went nuts. Nah, you know, he's been offered the X amount of money. He's not going to sign with Nike, but 
Um, I think a week later, yeah, he bounced and kind of came back to Nike um, with a ridiculous amount of money. But then at that time, it, it just didn't work because he cancelled his tour in Barcelona. He was no longer in Team USA. Um, his shoe was already released, I think. Um, so the campaign just didn't make sense. And that was probably looking back, oh, man, that, that it still infuriates me because I always wanted to work with Nike. Yeah. Um, always wanted to have something with a Nike tick on it because – yeah, I do. I do a bit of. I've, I've also got a like basketball clothing line in Australia. It's called Horse Clothing Co. Uh huh. And I love. I kind of love apparel, sports, um, sports apparel, and things like that. I just look at Nike and and you know the Nike apparel that pumps out for players for their sponsor players is crazy. And also their not just their apparel, like the way they market their players, the way they the, the brand they've built, like it's just second to none. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, Adidas, Under Armour. I think they're stepping up their games a lot. Um, but from what I see in Australia, I don't probably see as much as you guys. But, f- yeah, from what I see, Nike is just at another level. And it's just, yeah, that's just kind of – that's on my bucket list. I, st- I still want to tick it off. And, yeah, hopefully it happens one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's – uh, you know, I'm actually surprised. I always wondered how close that Under Armour deal came with Kevin Durant. So it sounds like it was – it wasn't just, you know, media talk. It was right there. Yeah, well, he had meetings in regards to this kind of project and, got, you know, going over to the Nike headquarters in Portland and – you know, all that was cancelled, like, on the day because he had an under-armour meeting. Um, uh-huh. But I think, you know, as much as I know, I think it was probably making it seem like he was going with under-armour to boost up the offer from Nike because Nike's like, there's no way we're going to lose probably, you know, one of their main guys. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think it just I think it just upped their offer because, uh, you know, the money they probably put on the table at the start would have been a lot less than what under-armour was offering. Um, and now he's, you know, being he's on what Rocker Sports or his his agents like Jay Z, I think. So oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was kind of yeah, they're kind of big, their big move. Um, yeah, that was a total that business play, man. That was a total business play. I've actually got th- a guy coming on in uh, in the new year in 2015, uh, who is mm-hmm. a sneaker business analyst. So this might be an interesting. Uh, conversation to have with him i'm sure he knows some some information on that oh yeah he'd know a lot more than me i kind of just got a few few words here and there you know so so right now right now what are you busy with tops yeah tops um i literally completed it monday um so i'm really really excited this is probably biggest project i've ever worked on and i think i mean we touched on kind of how we started out design when we were younger and things like that. But previously on this podcast, but I think I didn't mention trading cards, but I think at the time, like, you know, when I was a kid, I was just getting trading cards and I didn't care what player I got in the pack. I just wanted it to be shiny. I just wanted it to have cool things on it and, you know, shapes and colors. And I don't know, like I got cards for the look of it, not the players on it. Right. Like the printing processes and things. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess, you know, I never really, really strange up until, you know, this year, I haven't really ever thought about working with a, um, a card company before. I don't, I don't know why I never pushed for it. But yeah, and, um, you know, Tops, like most other work, they just found me on Instagram. They, they just said, you know, they approached me and said, hey, do you want to do like, you know, some cards for us? And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll do some cards. But then, you know, some cards ended up turning to 
uh, over 500 cards and oh, you know it's, like, it's it's a complete it's a complete suite of cards so it's called tops fire football um it should launch in january and it's got i think there's um 13 or 14 different looks inside the pack so it's not just kind of 500 cards with you know the same look with the player cropped out on it um you know there's 13 or 14 different looks so different style cards and yeah i work with their art director there um, in terms of, uh, you know, getting each style to the theme that they wanted, which is, which is really cool. Early on when I was kind of trying to get some of the design, um, templates up, I was kind of, I was focusing more on, you know, the traditional kind of card style look. Uh-huh. And then they just contacted me back and said, no, we don't want this. You know, we want you to do your thing. We, we don't want this to look like standard cards, you know, because the nature of the card industry, um, I'm not sure if kind of you, you look over it a lot. It's, it's very conservative. Um, you know, the cards look beautiful. You right. know, don't get me wrong. But a lot of it's, um, you know, conservative and, and, and very subtle. Um, so I guess they kind of wanted, you know, to throw in a more, you know, just wow factor and, you know, just, you know, throwing on like basically a canvas of work on, on a trading card, you know, they, they are say, you know, just think of a wallpaper or something and throw it on a trading card. And, you know, I've had designers contact me and just go, oh, all you, you know, all you do is design on a wallpaper. That takes no skill. But essentially a wallpaper is a blank canvas, just like any design, like, you know, a poster, uh, a, you know, if you're doing something for a billboard, you know, a wallpaper, essentially it's just resizing it. And, you know, everyone starts with a blank canvas. Um, so they just kind of wanted to think big and then scale it down to a trading card size. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the, the detailed work at a large scale is reproduced down um, at a trading card size because you lose a lot of the details I'm working with. But yeah, it should be in print. It's in print production now, and I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, I, I think every kind of sports designer's had probably some kind of dream about kind of doing a, a series of trading cards, and I'm really, really fortunate. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, I think the top three sports design dream like freelance gigs would be like design a sneaker. Uh, yeah. you know, and design trading cards and then maybe do like a rebranding of like a professional sports team. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Those, those are my top three as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. That's congratulations again. Let me ask you that though. Like, so doing, uh, doing the work that you do, you know, digitally, you're working in pixels. Now you're moving over mm-hmm. and working, you know, in print, you know, 300 DPI, that type of thing. How was that transition for you? Yeah. The transitions um, not too much. I, I um, because when I first started design, I was doing a lot of print, okay. print stuff. So um, you were familiar with uh, the processes like, and stuff then. Yeah, yeah. I was doing print advertisements. I was doing a lot of um, uh, you know magazine ads, posters, things like that. Um, so I've always kind of been a print slash digital guy. I probably just market myself more digital, just because it's. I think yeah, I get more work kind of on that side of things, but. You know, the digital work I create with, like, say, for example, I'm doing a social media graphic for the NBA. I build it at 4,000, 5,000 pixels. Like, I don't build it at 800 pixels or whatever it gets outputted to, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook um, or, or, or the website. I actually build everything I do at high res. Probably not the quickest process to do things, but I do that because if, for any reason it needs to be, because I've had a lot of projects I've worked on digitally that, um, you know, 
the company will go, oh, okay, we want this, you know, can this go on like a poster or can this be printed? And it's like, oh, shit, I have to now recreate this. I have to turn it <laughs> yeah. from this 400 pick, you know. So now I'm just like, no, I'm going to build everything big and build everything 300 DPI, high res, um, have it work, um, usually in RGB, but, you know, I, I can just cross change it to CMYK if it's for print. But right. if I scale everything up, it's easy to scale it down. You can't do it the other way. Absolutely, um, man. I think that's a smart move. Yeah, I just do it. It, it can be a lifesaver at times, but it, it does take a bit of time, a um, bit longer on projects, but I just do it strictly for everything I work on now. Yeah. You know, and doing it that way, like you said, it can take a little bit of time. I mean, you got to have, you got to have some powerful, uh, a powerful machine to make that happen. Cause I know for me, my last poster that I did for, uh, my alma mater, which is, you know, where I went to college, um, that thing, the Photoshop side was like over two gigs. Oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crazy. I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just constantly merging layers. Like I'll set up a working kind of a working file, which is the same kind of file, but just layers. And then the one I'm working on, like if it's massive, like you say, two gig, um, and then you have to start saving. It's like PSB files, I think they're called. Yeah, um, yeah. Large document files. Yeah, I'll just kind of merge layers. I go, okay, I don't need all those individual layers anymore. I'll merge them, you know, put the file size down, things like that. And yeah, I guess it can be messy at times. But. <laughs> I'm, I'm super paranoid about that. You know, I, uh, lately I've actually been integrating smart objects a lot more into my design processes. So, yeah. you know, I'll, if I, let's say I cut out 10 players or whatever, mask them in Photoshop mm. and I bring them over and I bring those and I save those guys as a smart object. So now I can turn them black and white or, you know, throw like different yeah. kinds of things over them and, and I still have the original without having to open up that file and drag it over onto my master document. And then even like with this last one, I had so many layers of smart objects. I mean, it was like I took the mm. group of players the, the players themselves individually were a smart object. Then the group of the players was a smart object. So that like if I made any changes <laughs> to the group, like it was it was yeah. insane. But but I'm starting to see just because I do a lot of work in the web too, and smart objects are very valuable there. And I'm starting to see how that in this world is is quite valuable as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So so I want to take a question from Twitter if that's cool with you. Yeah, go for it. Um, so Steve Hardaway, uh, Steve is a designer in Texas and he just started this, he just launched this website, uh, which, you know, is, is going to be a sports design resource. He, he posts, uh, he actually posts, shares the show there. It's sportsdesign.co. Uh, anyway, he asked if you had to start over, what would you have done differently? Wow. That's a good question. I probably, I don't like to be a negative person, but um, I would have studied somewhere differently. Um, I had a hell of it an experience. Um, basically, my lecturer told me, well, he wrote me a letter and told me, he's like, you're never going to be a designer. You just quit now. Um, wow. I just didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't actually end up following through my third year, final year, because um, uh, I already had my diploma. It was, you know, it gave me enough qualification to apply for jobs. But, yeah, I, I just... He, he just brought in such a bad vibe and he, he was breaking me down a bit in terms of just being as a designer myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm a really humble guy and, you know, I, I could just, you know, I could have walked up to his face and it's like, hey, I'm working with Sony this week, you know, but I'm, I'm already a designer, you know, sort of things like that. But I was just like, you know, 
I'm above his level. I don't, I, you know, I don't need to go down to his level in terms of negativity. Um, but he, he was a horrible, horrible influence in terms of my design career. Um, just, you know, we would go into class and we would have a scanned document from Photoshop to dummies. And it's kind of like, yeah, turn, you know, make this triangle or we turn this black and white. And it's like, this, this isn't teaching us squad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that the frustration was, you know, a couple of years of that, that was killing me. Um, but I always had, I had so much side projects on at the time. That was kind of the only thing that was getting me through it. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of hear those words, I was like, I'm never going to be a designer. You know, I need to focus on another career. There's no point coming back for a third year. I was like, well, I won't come back for a third year because, you know, I'll just, I'm already working. I can just work, piss off, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, my man. advice for any, if I can extend this question, um, my advice for anyone else is just, if someone gives you negative advice like that, just take it with, with grain of salt. Just don't even listen to negative feedback. The world we live in now, people are just so negative, um, you know, just just as a whole, especially in terms of design as well. I see a lot of negativity. Um, I mean, we all start from somewhere. I look at my work. My work was putrid when I was 13, like playing with bloody photos. It was disgusting. But at the time, I thought it was really cool. So, you know, if you're negative about someone's work, you know, they might think it's really good. But, it, you know, in the real life, it might not be good, but they're you know, they're just starting out. They're trying to get to that end goal. Um, and you can't give people road bumps along the way because it's just not going to help them, you know. So, yeah, to answer the question again, I definitely would have studied somewhere else. You know, I've, I'm a strong believer of I don't know what your education system's like in America. It's obviously a lot better than Australia, but I'm a strong believer. It's it's a portfolio over a piece of paper, like, you know, I was yeah, getting I agree. Horrible, I agree. Yeah, I was getting horrible grades. You know, I was barely passing. You know, I would get forty five percent on you know a design that I thought looked good. Um, I think we had twenty thirty people in you know studying in uh, my course in design advertising and design, and I think me and I think only one or two other people ended up getting jobs because we we were trained by just you know people that just didn't have that kind of right mindset of design especially the, you know design now in terms of digital like it was a, you know all painting squares and plant you know yeah yeah well, it was you know, too much I think a lot of times we tend to get taught by career you know educators you know people yes, that yeah. that went straight into like their master's degree and they went to school and they a lot of them they don't really actually have an understanding how the real world of design works and especially like the business side and the business side is something that is absolutely not taught anywhere in design programs no. period no 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 and that's not that's, at all. The, that's one of the most that's one of the most important ones you know and that's honestly, this is this is we talk about you know side projects and stuff. This project right here is a side project for me, and having freelance full time for eight of the nine years of my career. I'm sorry, ten years of my career, eight or nine years. I don't even know at this point. <laughs> um, but, Too long. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like I've learned a lot from mistakes over the years, and and I've learned a lot about professionalism and things like that, and. Um, that's like with, with this half halftime, 20 minute podcast, which I'm about to put out, uh, mm -hmm. coming into the new year is to hopefully shed some light on that type of stuff that, you know, people in business, they tend to not want to share secrets and they want to keep everything secretive or whatever. But I think the design community is completely different in that, uh, the people that actually push through, you know, they may not be good in the beginning and then they keep working and they keep working and they keep working and then they push through and they finally get to the point where they're competent. 
or or and then they get to the point where they're talented you know and maybe they're not as talented as the greatest designers in the world right but you know we got to look at how many people are in the world you know like people like us right now the people right now that listen to this podcast are a very small percentage of people that care enough to listen to you talk and share your advice and the other guests that I've had on the show uh, and myself, you know, and there's a lot of people that just don't do that. They go to work, they go home, you know, and they're done. It's just a job. But for, for us, you know, it's a passion. Yeah. Yeah. And I get, you know, the digital world we live in, like it is, I I mean, like for me, when I was younger, I I would never have thought I'd be able to kind of work on, you know, these crazy projects you know working you know talking with espn and nba and tops and things like that it's like you know i'm living in adelaide australia and you know i can't get any sports work here because when people have approached me um in the past they look oh okay you've worked for the nba you charge too much and they'll go to an agency here that charged five times as much as me (laughs) um (laughs) but it's just crazy like you know the world we live in I don't, you know, everyone is on a level platform and I think that's a beautiful thing because, you know, you, you could be based in LA or New York, but you've got no advantage over someone in Brazil or, you know, somewhere else because, you know, you can work from anywhere. And I think that's the great thing is a lot of, especially in design, uh, sports designers, a lot of teams and the leagues themselves are now seeking freelancers over working with agencies. From from my knowledge, uh, which is a really great thing, nothing against agencies, but um, it's great to have you know freelancers working by them, you know, working for themselves, um, you know, being able to work directly for teams in the league, um, you know, um, not just you know tied down with internal designers within the organization because it kind of you know it branches out so much. You can you, you can pick anyone from the world, um, and it's just a great thing and. Definitely something I, th- I think we're in probably from, you know, I'm, I'm pretty young. I'm only 25. But f- from my understanding, I think sports design right now is at its highest ever needed. You know, I think it's never needed uh, being needed more than it is now, which is a really exciting thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think design even even as a whole. You know, yeah. it's if we look at the startup world and, the, and you know, the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world and how those guys are just acquiring talent. And I love what you said about location, too, because your, your city, is it is it kind of a rural place? Or is it a- <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's 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 not. Um, if anyone out there, I'm not familiar, man, I'm not I'm not familiar with I'm much like, of the geography outside yeah, the major no, cities. Cool. Of- uh, every American I meet, they think I've got a kangaroo in the backyard or a koala in my tree and things like that. But it's not true. I live two minutes from the beach. Um, it's it's a nice, oh, nice. area. Um, I do I do my work from my um, my study or office room in my house. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm I live. 30 minutes out of our capital city, um, which is Adelaide. The, the big difference between Australia and America is so, you know, within the States, we basically have one main city and everything else is suburbs. Whereas like, say for, you know, I know California best cause I travel there a lot, but I think the capital city is Sacramento. And then you've got, you know, San Diego, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you've got major, major, major places. 
But in Adelaide, right. um, sorry, in Australia, it's basically you've got a state. So I live in South Australia, and then the main city, the capital city, is Adelaide. Everything else is just residential suburbs. Um, and the same thing okay, with like gotcha. you know New South Wales. You've got Sydney, which is huge. Um, most people probably followers out there know of Sydney, um, but then kind of everything else is just yeah smaller suburbs. So we don't have kind of like crazy big cities within the same state like America does. But yeah, I live two minutes from the beach, 30, uh, 20, 30 minutes from the CBD. Yeah, it's a nice area, but yeah, it's probably if I drive 10 minutes further south, you're looking at, yeah, more rural areas. So, yeah. oh, okay. Well, that, it, doesn't, it doesn't tie in well to, uh, to what I was going to say next, but I, I actually do live pretty rurally. Like I lived in the city of Lexington, which is, we mentioned earlier, you know, being where the Kentucky Wildcats play and, uh, and I moved way out to the country. So the, but what I was going to say is that location today does not matter. I fundamentally believe that if you have an internet connection and you're talented, you can do your work anywhere. Yeah. I'm a strong believer of that. And probably the reason why I've never, never even crossed my mind to set up a, a studio in RCBD or anything like that, because I just don't believe, you know, financially, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to work from the home. It's just, you know, there's no point driving 20, 30 minutes to go somewhere to impress clients. Um, right. I just do everything through email, you know, Skyping if needed. And I, yeah, location is not, there's, it's not a barrier. I've never had an issue in terms of, oh, I'm from Australia. Oh, we can't pay you. Um, we only work with American dollars, things like that. You know, it, the world we live in, it's just, it's, it's easy now. And it doesn't matter where you live. Um, like you said, you, you know, if you're in a more rural destination or if you're in New York, um, if your work's good, yeah, you're going to be noticed. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like sport, isn't it? Like, um, you know, like we, we were mentioning before, like, you know, you could have the, you know, in terms of sport, you can have the, the upstart of having athleticism and height, you know, as design, you could have the upside of living in a good destination like New York or LA. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, if you work hard and you produce good work, you, you, you're going to get noticed. And I think that's the great thing. Yeah, totally agree. Well, man, I know you, uh, you got to get some breakfast. It's early over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's seven twenty now. So I'm, I'm a late night person. So it, it, it shows how meaningful this podcast is. You got me up at 6am for I really appreciate it. I know that our listeners will as well. Where can, uh, speaking of that, where can our listeners find out more about you and reach out? Yeah, cool. Um, so, um, well, currently I'm rebuilding my website. So uh, in December, um, www.tysonbeck.com will be the best spot. But right now, um, I spoke a lot about Instagram, so you may as well um, head over there. My username is Tyson Beck, um, or you can find me on Twitter at Tyson Beck Design. Um, that's where I'm most active, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and also, you can check out my basketball clothing line at horseclothingco.com. Very cool, man. Well, once again, I really appreciate you taking the time to get up early and and chat. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. And I really appreciate what you're doing um, for the sports design community.
Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. My next guest is Matt Walker of Walk Design. Most of you may know Matt's work from ESPN, where he was an associate art director and the design lead for ESPN's fantasy sports product line. Uh, Most recently, he was a user experience consultant for CBS Interactive's fantasy sports group. Uh, He will be our next guest, episode 17. Big thanks again to Tyson for taking the time to join the show. Uh, I'm super pumped to have uh, an international guest on the show. Again, you heard him earlier. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram and check out his work. Uh, Another reminder for those that are catching up on shows or that might have missed it, Halftime is coming at the beginning of the new year, so be on the lookout for it. Halftime is a 20-minute solo podcast, which is between the weeks of interviews uh, where I will be discussing freelance, professionalism, and more. Be sure to follow myself on Twitter, at T. Adam Martin, as well as the show, at Makers of Sport. And if you haven't done so and are listening to this, and better yet, getting value from the show, go right now to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Stop what you're doing right now. Unless you're driving, stop what you're doing. Go to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and write a review. Uh, I work super hard for the show and those reviews mean a lot and also help people to discover the show that are like-minded like the rest of us here. So uh, I'll also accept ratings on or likes on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever other application you happen to be listening in. I'll see you on Twitter and the website makersofsport.com. Until next time, have a good week.